And we welcome you inside this Thursday edition of the Sports Ethos Sacramento Kings podcast. Sam Comanti here with you, as always, alongside the incomparable and all-knowing Jill Edge. We're back on this Thursday instead of Wednesday. Yesterday, I was knocked on my ass for my COVID booster, so Jill so kindly allowed us to do it today, uh, which is good because now I'm not as in much pain. And we can talk about the Magic game. Uh, the Kings beating the Magic last night, Jill, in Sacramento before they head out on the short road trip. They won three straight. We're all back in. They're 11-14. They're in the play-in as of today, as of December 9th. Irrelevant, but it's true. They're the 10th seed as Portland continues to crumble. So <laughs> they're doing, it just made me, it makes me laugh because they're doing exactly what we were saying they were going to do when we were writing them off. We were saying it's all about selling off the assets you can and looking ahead. You made the point, Jill, that every time we think the Kings are about to tumble out, just the bottom's going to give out. They totally flip a switch and all of a sudden start winning games and, and, and making manage, management believe that they're a contender, which I still don't think they are. I think they're just playing way better uh, in terms of like the style that they, they should be playing anyway. They should be playing fast. And now guys are making their shots. Terrence Davis has showed up. But Monty McNair, you, you know now he's just going to go all in, isn't he? He's going to try and make some big trades now, whereas a couple weeks ago, that probably wasn't the thought process. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's... Are you excited about it at all, that, that, that they're winning? Like, I guess that's a stupid um, question. We yeah, always enjoy that they're winning. It is, but, I mean, it doesn't mean it's anything more or less to me. Not even that. Um, I, I don't feel necessarily one way or but like I like that they're winning but it's not making me believe or not believe any more or less than what it was before I mean I still need to see um more of it and we just got you know injured guides back um you know it was it's nice to see uh Terrence Davis and Bagley step up um but again it's a small sample size like I need more um you know I already saw people last night like oh you know they've had a three great game stretch trade everybody away now and let these guys take the reins and I'm like okay you can say trade everybody away because things aren't working but not because you want guys to take over after a three game sample size like sorry I mean let's be realistic were they even referencing in that Terrence Davis and Bagley okay (laughs) and I'm like and one has no to have them take the reins oh yeah I mean, I don't really um, Bagley's, and, yeah. And, and but my thing is that's fine, but that's nothing that this front office has shown to be interested in. Like I can see Buddy and Terrence Davis taking over, but again, we still have to have the Bagley conversations. I, I haven't heard he's saying and doing all the right things, but there's nothing that makes me believe he still doesn't feel like he wants to be traded. Right. I mean, he made that clear privately to the front office. I mean. I, I don't know. I don't think Alvin taking over for, you know, eight games has necessarily changed three years of or two years of wanting to be out of here. But, you know, right. who knows? Again, I'm rooting for everybody to succeed. I'm just not sold on um, a big change. If if Monty can prove that he can turn it around with them, more power to you than you proved that, you know, you did something that nobody thought was possible. But I'm just not taking a three game simple size as anything to start making drastic <laughs> decisions on. Um, yeah. But that's just me. Yeah. I, I, I just know Vivek Ranadive is looking at this with so, you know, he, he's unrealistic Vivek in what this means for the team. You know, he's going to be subtly telling McNair, you know, we got to go all in, like it's working, like let's do this. When, yeah, it's, it's three games. They just beat a team that had that has five wins last night, and it was a, de- a game with no defense, just all scoring, and it was fun to watch. I mean, it's it's they really have reverted back to 2018 Kings. It's shoot yeah. last threes, play way faster, don't care as much about defense, go a little little deeper on your bench. It's yeah. not like a strict rotation necessarily, a tight eight man group, nine man group. The bench gets extended to keep sure. up with the like how fast you're playing. And my, they, yeah, I don't know. I I. Again, my thing is, if you want to go all in or you want to blow it up, I'm fine doing either or, but do it smartly, like do it in a smart way, right? Like do it with something that makes sense. Like that's all I ask. 
sense. Like and the Kings never do anything that makes you know sense. What I mean? And so that's right. And so, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, we're finally seeing, you know, Terrence Davis do what he did, you know, kind of last year when he came in here and it's like him and buddy heels completely switched places. Like, yeah, seriously. Um, in, in the month of December, buddy shooting 11% from three on 10 attempts, awesome. 11%, Sweet. um, where Davis is 30, a oh, lot higher. 52% from three on eight attempts where prior to that he was shooting, um, 26% in November on four mm-hmm. attempts and 10% on three attempts. And buddy was shooting. in October, 36% November and dropped to 11. So, um, on four, on four less attempts a game, his minutes are down. Those are numbers Um, per game. Okay. I was like, how how do you Uh, shoot 10% on one of one, one out of three? I was like that. Um, yeah, that's for the month as a whole. Okay. Um, but in the first two months he was, um, attempting 10, 10 a game, but he was playing 28, 29 minutes. Now he's shooting six at 19.6 minutes. Um, so, but this is the one thing I like about Gentry, right? Like he's going with the hot hand and that's what we've been asking for. Like if someone's hot, don't take them out because you have to give someone else their minutes, right? Like go with what's working. And the same way they went with buddy, you know, somewhat when, Terrence Davis wasn't working or they were trying to find other ways to, to go. Even if you're playing um, Davion more, right. Then, than putting buddy in at, at times um, who, who has, you know, been kind of on offensively right now. Um, so, you know, we, we saw it again yesterday, even with Barnes came back, the only thing that changed was, you know, Harkless, but everyone else pretty much got their, got their, um, their run. Yeah, Harkless didn't and, play and seemed to make it work. You know, <clears throat> offense was hitting, but defense was still atrocious. Um, I might be the outlier that doesn't so, care. I mean, if that. you can sc- if you can score 145 points, well, cool. Like, but you still gave up. That's not again. You gave up. You scored 145 points on a team that won five games. You can't go do that to somebody else and then think you're gonna think you're gonna uh, like. Sorry, yeah, like that's not gonna happen against. And win that's not going to happen against good teams, right? Like that's, that's not a winning strategy. It won't happen against Cleveland. Um, so you, you have to be able to stop them, and, you know, and maybe it was just Orlando going berserk the same way the Kings went berserk. It was just one of those ones, but I still think there were very many times where it was still the Olay. I'm not going to be physical. Like, because you saw when they came out in the third quarter and actually were physical with them, Orlando had some trouble, right? And then like the, you, you let it go a little bit and they made their little streak, which is fine. That's going to happen. But you show it again when you're physical and you do the punching rather than being punched, like your defense can lead to offense. Um, so for, to me, you just need that consistently because you're not going to be playing the Orlando magic <laughs> every game. Um, and you can't, that team hadn't scored a hundred points in like weeks. And yeah. you let them score like 130 or whatever it was like, so, you know, that just can't. Un- yeah, I, I, I agree. I hear you. This is unusually uh, not. I want to say pessimistic on your end, Jill, but, you know, you're you're, you're highlighting what went wrong in the game. No, I, 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 I love the win. I'm just saying you can't do that to the next team. And think no, they're gonna, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess I, I'm just I'm happy that they're winning, that they're playing at this style that so fits them. I agree that they're a much better team when they're physical. I don't think that the roster as it currently is, is a physical roster. That's why when Walton was trying to play, play times, like that, and that's what's so frustrating yeah, to me is I they show it. they can do it, but yeah. they just, but that's not don't. their strength in my opinion. Uh, and you, you know, smart teams play their strengths. Walton tried to force this team to be like defensive oriented and a physical team. And oh, these guys, I think they're, they're showing a- that. I think you can say be average defensively and not, yeah, oh, not be falling because right now they're falling down to 26 in the league. You were, yeah. you were at 20. Now you're 26. Like there is a fall off to me. You can still play fast, but still have defense. Like it shouldn't, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Right. It should not have to but be, but we got to get other. one before we get the other. I, you can't get both at the same time <laughs> right out of the gate. I don't think. And they're learning how to play this what? offensive style. Why? 
Why? But but see, why? Why does that negate everything that you were that you've been teaching on defense? Yeah, I agree. I'm just saying like it's not like these this core group has never run before. Yeah. Or or as Gentry says, I'm not throwing out new stuff. You're just running Mm -hmm. like. (laughs) Yeah, we don't know exactly what Gentry's telling them. It's like. I mean, that's what he's saying publicly is he's sure. saying he's not sure. changing it. I'm just telling them to hurry up. So to me, that shouldn't negate anything you're doing defensively because the other team is still playing their normal game. Right. right? Like, I mean, and yeah, that, half the time your defense can lead to fast opportunities. Well, maybe that's so exactly it's, to me. It's just frustrating that you can't even imagine like you can't just be average at something. It has to be completely one end of the spectrum or the other. But that's why they're bad, right? Like until they figure that out, it's they're going to be. It's a pipe dream for me. It's a pipe dream for me. (laughs) Well, it's realistic that McNair will look at trade acquisitions similar to how he did last year, where he's like, "I'm looking for guys that play a good offensive style that fit us, that can make threes. But their background and where they really made names for themselves are is defense. That was what he figured he was doing when he got Delon Wright and Terrence Davis. I think he'll approach it the same. How can I maybe shed some guys that don't play good defense? Buddy healed Marvin Bagley that want to be out of here that the Kings have been talking you know, about. And I'll say forever. kudos to Bagley is he has gotten better in in certain part of defense, but half of it too is just like, can you be a good team defender? Right? Like we don't need no, you to be not. an all star um, individual defender, but can you as a team be, you know, learn how to handle each other? I think that's a big difference too, and having the knowledge of knowing how to do that. And not, I mean, we see not everyone um, seems capable of, of no. figuring or picking that out. Well, as um, we approach that December 15th date, uh, where trades are going to start appearing. Bagley stock continues to point up. He had 12 points yesterday in 19 minutes, six rebounds, no assists, but we never really look at that part of his stat line anyway. Uh, and then Buddy Heald's going the exact opposite direction. As you had alluded to, Jill, he's switching roles with Terrence Davis. Davis is getting those minutes. He's playing the way Buddy can play at times. But right now, Buddy's playing horrible. 18 minutes, five points, two of 13 from the field, one of 10 from three. Because that's, you know, Buddy, he, even if he's not making his shots, which that was one of those days last night, he was not making anything, he's still going to shoot. It makes him frustrating and annoying for fans because it's not going in, but he doesn't give a shit. He's going to keep doing it until it goes in. And it only went in once from distance. So it's great. It's that- easier to swallow if you're doing, maybe if you're doing that and then you're like some all-star defender where it's like, okay, you can, you can yeah. handle like the something you can, else you can hang your hat on a, I mean, but when it's not working, it's, he was plus it can four be rough. It can in, be rough in the plus or minus uh, second best of the five guys that came off the bench for the Kings behind Thompson, who had a double double uh, and continues to play pretty strong basketball when called upon. He's the tough guy. If you're going to, if you're going to put anyone on this team as, you know, the enforcer, it's obviously him and, and, and Alex Len, but Bagley's great at doing what he's supposed to do right now. He, he is mm-hmm. doing exactly everything, saying the All right things, for, right? Right. And yep. that'll make him, if he is, does end up getting traded, which we still expect him to be, it'll make his exit a little bit more, you know, I don't even know what the word would be. Well, and this is the thing. Not, yeah, it was never going to be like painful, palatable, just, palatable. Yeah, well, it's just going to be pretty. Well, I mean, because if, if you can pack, if he is gaining value, like we always talk about, can what, what will his value be in a package and what will it be by itself? Like if you're trying to trade him now for a second rounder, I would not take that, right? Oh, yeah. But no. if you're trying to now package him in something and With he body. actually has good value, right? Because those are the bigger contracts. If you can swing for something and someone will take that package along with, draft pick, you know, because let's be realistic. The Kings draft picks are their biggest assets because you are a 15 straight years in the lottery. No one, no one else. Like if you're looking at someone else and someone's interested in legit draft picks, it's not a Milwaukee bucks tra- uh, draft pick. It's not a Clippers draft pick. You know what I mean? Like you're getting an almost guaranteed yeah, like 15 or lower. Right. Like, because even if they finish 10th, like you're still getting, um, you know, something under 15. So again, like depending on the protections, um, to me, that's their most valuable asset. And so if you can increase the value of the, the package you're putting with those draft picks and, and you can make a swing at someone that's a win for everybody. 
I mean, we that, that gets, a- that gets Bagley his, you know, what he wanted to start the year being somewhere else. And that could get you a potential home run swing in something. Um, but at this point, I, you know, at the beginning, people were saying, just trade him to trade him. I don't do that. No, no, no I mean, no. we were never, we were never in that train, yeah. but, um, neither is to me. It's, it's, it's good for the Kings and that he's showing something. If you do end up staying it, it's good. If he's showing something that if you can package it with something and it's now more lucrative to whoever's taking it back. Yeah. Mc, uh, has already proven that he was never going to trade Bagley just for anything. Cause right. he would have done that by now. What do you think of a, <laughs> a trade of just looking at Matt, the magic last night and watching some of their talented young players. What, what about shipping Buddy and Bagley together and maybe a draft pick for Terrence Ross and Mo Bamba? I know we've touched on Mo Bamba in the past, talking about how oh, we'd I love would, to see I would him. take the flyer on Bamba. I would take the flyer on Bamba. And Terrence Ross is one more year on his contract. He's a free agent 2023, making similar annually to, to Heald. But I think he's a better player than Buddy Heald, more consistent player at least. So I don't know if the Magic would take that. Uh, if they really give care that much about Bagley's potential, you might have to throw like a protected first-round pick in there. But I would definitely take a flyer on Bamba. I think Ross would be an upgrade over healed. And you get rid of the two guys that don't want to be there. I don't even think you'd probably have to throw in. I don't think you'd have to throw in anything. Um, If if, if it matched up. um, Yeah, I mean, that's a a stretch. Big man. Mm -hmm. No, he's he's young. Yeah, I mean, that brings brings something on defense that we don't have. Very good. Um, If you compare that with Holmes, um, you know, or you figure out whatever you had to do. But I mean... That to me, that's just a swap of of young players. Um, I need different who could use some some new scenery. But I mean, you're seeing Bomba. The wins aren't there, but Bomba and Wendell Carter uh, Wendell Carter Jr. have actually played like since they've gone the two big man route. Um, they've actually played well together. But and I know people will be like, "Oh, it's another big man." You know, we need the wing. Like, I agree. I get that. Um, but Bomba, if I know you only saw one game, but if you've watched them, like he stretches the floor and he's done it since he's been in the league. Like this isn't a, a one-off year of him, you know, stretching the floor. Like that's always been his game. Um, Terrence Ross and, is definitely and he a averages wing. blocks. Like his, his blocking is um, something we don't have. And, and, and the salary, um, I don't think, you know, wouldn't hurt you. So with what you're to trying run to sell him for it, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's something I would, I would listen to for sure. I'll have to run that through the trade machine to make sure it all the facts check out the, the numbers add up. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, they were in the same draft. Bomba would be getting less than Bagley, obviously, unless their seven end up matching up based on that starter minute, you know, the, the starter minutes thing at 7 million. Um, but I don't know about Ross's salary compared to, to buddy. Yeah. I would think it'd be less, but it is definitely less. It's like 12 million, but buddy makes what 20 million a year. A lot, yeah. Yeah, um, but I think the Magic um, have calf space. Um, a couple extra notes about this game before I ask you a different trade-related question, Jill. So Fox had 33, probably his best, I would say his best game in a while, maybe even his best game this season statistically. Uh, he had 20, he's averaged 25 points over the last three games, this little win streak that they're on. That's not a coincidence. When Fox plays well, the Kings are a better team. Davis Stayed rolling in the starting lineup, 16 points, five rebounds, three assists, really active on like just in transition. You know, if he's not scoring, he's hustling up the court, drawing a defender, looking to be an outlet. You know, he does that very well. Holmes hurt his eye again. This time it got bloody. He did not come back after playing about 10 minutes. He that sucks. Eye injuries are the worst. I couldn't tell, was it eye or was it like the top of his nose? I couldn't tell the way that the blood was flowing. That's fair. Um, and I, I guess because I thought it was like it was either like from right there or that or this piece right here, you yeah. know, that part. And then the it was coming nose. down, coming down that way. Um, but by the way, even his mom was talking and like you could never really get a clear um, a clear answer. And it could have been both because it did look like it came like one of these. You can see me doing it, but nobody yeah, else can. No one else can. I get um, it. But yeah, his mom was saying, uh, doctor, you're going to have to start putting goggles on him again. Like he used to, he used to have uh, once upon a time at this point, just I would, I do not. No one likes getting poked in the eye. I have like a big thing. Like I'm like, nah, I mean, we wear glasses, but yeah. What's that? What is that? Like three times this year? I mean, what are the, like, what are the odds at this point? 
I wear I wear glasses because I don't like touching my eye. I don't like contacts. I don't like doing that. My mom sometimes will have it where the contact breaks in her eye, just like dig in and get it out. Yeah. No. Yeah. Hard pass on that. Yeah. Reggie Jackson wears some cool ones too. Like ever since he had his, um, he Reggie Jackson on the Clippers has some cool ones that he wears. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, because he didn't used to, but after I'm his injury or whatever he mm-hmm. now wears it and so i mean they have like cool yeah. you know yeah, up, to, cool. up to date ones now yeah. compared to the old Hip school glasses. the old school like uh what was it grant on the was it um, yes it, uh, grant, Morris on grant on, the, on, the, on Chicago. <laughs> the, yes. the old school <laughs> goggles those i mean um, those are cool too yeah. they have like um you just don't uh, see them like croquis yeah like yeah. them go around your neck uh and then the threes and the free throws, I, I, I've overwhelmed by how consistent they've been with Gentry at these numbers. 34 attempts last night from three, 15 to 34, 44%. That's awesome. And they've been very steady on between 30 and 35 attempts per game. They haven't gone past that. Whereas with Walton, especially in the beginning, as I've said many times, they were shooting like 50 a game, which was so annoying and irritating because when they weren't making them, now you've shot 50 attempts and you made 10 and you lost the game by 15 points because you were living and dying by the three. And then free throws, 21 to 25 from the line. I feel like they've been at the line at least 22, 23, 25 times every game in the past week or so. Those are encouraging signs. Those are numbers that you want to stay at. Free throws, you might even want to get higher. And 21 to 25 is great too. I mean, they're not missing so many of their free throws like they've done in the past. So encouraging things there. Uh, Five and three in eight games under Alvin Gentry. Again, now they're the 10th seed in the play-in. They're like one game out of the eighth seed uh, or maybe even the seventh seed. I'd have to look back at it. Clippers are starting to pick up some steam now that they're not playing the Kings. So I they've think they're like a, a three-way distance. tie for ninth, but yeah. maybe in 10th based on how that falls. The bottom on, of the West is a, I mean, a right crapshoot. It's, yeah. It's a crapshoot. Uh, so the trade question I was going to ask. And now with be- so many people going out and. Oh, yeah protocols all over the league True. and injuries like the Pelicans just lost Lewis for the year. Now, um, Akira Lewis to a, to an ACL, like you just don't know, right? Like, so yeah. when you take, take advantage right. of the opportunities of teams that are above or below you, like that's something that this place has never done, but we're always saying, take advantage of it. Like this could be the time where you strike and fall. Um, uh, Harrison Barnes said that after the game, he said, if we yeah. can make this consistent, we can do something special here which I feel we've heard that from Harrison for several years now. And uh, and he has said, well, and right. And I like how he ends it now with, I, I know I, it's just talk at this point. Like we have yeah. to show it. Like you've heard this. Um, yeah. I have to say it because I have to say it, but like, yeah. Um, it was funny. Cause I was listening. Um, Fred Van Fleet uh, did a post game uh, for the Raptors after their last one. And he said, someone asked him a question and I, you couldn't hear the question, but the answer was, I don't know. I'm just sick of playing up and then down and then up and then like good, bad, good, bad. And I'm yeah. like, Raptors in the cave, like the spider, <laughs> the Spider-Man, like Meme pointing at, at each other. other. Like, it, yeah. it was like verbatim, the same thing that, that the Kings players have been saying, like, I'm sick of playing up and then playing down. The Raptors lost to the Thunder. Down. Yeah. So it's, in Toronto. So, you know, there's, there's other teams going through it. And so. Like Barnes said, take advantage of it. Take advantage. Before we get you to reveal the next two names on your coaching list, Jill, I wanted to ask about uh, the Indiana Pacers, who have made it clear that they're going to probably do some sort of fire sale uh, with this horrendous beginning they've had of the season. Turns out it wasn't all Nate Bjorken's fault. He got so much of the blame for the team's, uh, well, I wouldn't say crumbling, but all the issues that they had throughout last season. He got pinned for it, got fired after one year, despite being such a highly touted assistant for so many years in Toronto. Now, Rick Carlisle, a Hall of Fame coach, he can't figure it out either. So kudos to the Pacers for realizing this doesn't work. We're not going to be the Sacramento Kings and keep it going for as long well, as we can. Yeah, we fired we fired our successful coach and have had two coaches that haven't been able to figure it out since. Yeah. So it's our, it's Nate the McMillan was, was the one that was taking them. Yeah. And then, so, um, you know, yeah, last year, um, Bjorken got it and then they had injuries again. Right. Um, Brocken was out for a lot of the season. And then this year you had TJ going down for, for months at a time. Um, 
both TJs, TJ McConnell and TJ Warren are still out. I miss TJ um, Warren, bubble TJ Warren. Yeah. And I'm trying to think, have we seen him since then? I don't, I don't remember. I don't think so. No. Um, and so, and I know in the article, it was saying like, they had expressed interest in staying together, which who knows, like if that wasn't the case, then that would be a name I'd be interested in too. But I just don't know. I mean, based on him being out so long for injury, I don't but know the, what you'd be getting. The Sabonis Turner from him either. Karis Levert, that, that group. Those were the three big ones. Those are, that's their core really outside yeah. of Brogdon. I mean, I know you'd want all of those. I would love every single one of those players in Sacramento. Yeah. I think Karis Levert's a fucking budding superstar. We would love if them stay healthy. so would so many other teams. That's the shitty part. Yeah. <laughs> what do we offer in a trade to try and get one of those guys is my question. The draft picks, I well, think, are your biggest lure. And I was just going to say, it. they're talking about a rebuild. And to me, Kings draft picks are the, are the biggest selling point in, yeah. in starting a rebuild. Um. So, but I think that's where it becomes the question. Are they looking at a smaller rebuild or like a big, big rebuild? Like, are they looking for young talent? Um, You know, like someone who was a first round pick in the last two years, right? So it's kind of like you're getting a first round pick back. Um, It's just one that's already been drafted and not um, upcoming. So I think that's where um, a lot of other teams have probably a lot more ammo than the Kings where the Kings have the draft pick ammo, but other teams actually have um, more proven, maybe young guys where we have Tyrese. I mean, like to, to be honest, like, and then you could say Davion, but to me, you're still how many games in, like if Mm -hmm. there are teams out there that have, um, you know, guys from the first, you know, um, multiple ones or you know things like that so that it maybe showed a little bit more so i think that's going to be the biggest question mark um when it when it comes to I, what kind of a rebuild that they want to do true we need to know a little bit more about the logistics here uh the content and that's where it's hard like because right now every team like if you every I, team I was, wants the you bonus. Know, looking at every like twitter fan you know whatever like everybody thinks they have the goods to get them and mm-hmm. then if you read any athletic or media article no one's mentioning the kings like at all it's yeah. it's it's good teams like warriors who have like two of their first round draft picks from this last year um that they could throw out to mm-hmm. try and land and wiseman um you know one houston has multiple ones that they could do um okay has, has ones um so again like it's there, Philadelphia was thrown into it. Boston was thrown into it. I mean, there's, so this is where it becomes like, where, I mean, I see the comments, oh, if, Mandy, if Monty can't get this done, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you don't like, he's calling. Like, if you don't think he's calling, like you're crazy. But at the end of the day, this is what happens when you miss on your draft picks is you don't have, you know what I mean? Like you, this is why Bad teams can't miss on draft picks because we say to me, this is why I'm always like, I don't care about fit. I care about adding talent because that talent can be moved. Like if you have proven talent, it can be moved. You know what I mean? Like when you're drafting, like in the lottery, best player available, because even if you already have someone in that position, there will be another team out there that wants that top 10 pick. Do you know what I mean? Like that it's, and so when the Kings have missed on all these draft picks, all you have left to trade is draft picks, but there's no players that people want to, to go along with it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it's, that's another thing where, you know, you have to hit like you, you have to hit. Yep. So, you know, he's, he's done well, so at least knock on wood so far from what we've seen, but again, like, in the same sense, the Pacers aren't hurting for point guard help either. So, you know what I mean? Like, so even our young guys to me don't really make sense. And yeah, the fits are teams be, that what need guards. We have every guard. Uh, That's another we, one where you'd be hoping to package like a Bagley and Buddy and your draft picks would be, do the talking. Every trade that the Kings I mean, might so put forth, you'd probably try to bundle those guys. Um, uh, you t- know, and, and that's kind of where it hurts. <laughs> Which one of those guys, though, Jill, of the three, would you want the most in Sacramento? Would it, it, it has to be Sabonis, right? Even though that fit isn't perfect. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. yeah. He's a ridiculous player for people that don't pay attention to the Pacers. Cause it's, you know, it's Indiana. Just We don't have a big man that can do everything. Like navigate that. the floor like that. Yeah. We don't have the passing big man. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know we don't have the stretching big man, but we also don't have the passing big man. And so when this team falls apart and like their breakdown on offense falls apart, what do we have left one-on-one, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't know how to do anything ball. else, right? If you had a big man that, that you could throw, like we used to do to cousins that you could throw to um, at the high post and he can navigate like yeah. that's, you know, that's, that changes, that changes things. DeMontis Sabonis is a, is a, like a genuine example of a modern and very old school big man in one. He's a lot like his father who played for many years and was a great NBA player. And then is very new age in what he can do, stretching the floor, uh, taking the ball up himself, you know, doing things that big men weren't really doing in the past, but now they do. And he can do all the other stuff, the great passing. He's got like, you know, Devots-esque type of passing skills. I mean, he's, he's an all around superstar that would take a good amount to get. Uh, But yeah, if your draft picks are allowed to do the talking, but I think, can, yeah, I think for sure you could make an argument, like you said, for, for any of those guys. Oh, legitimately. And, yeah. Um, Bryant had a good one today where he said he spent, um, he heard all off season, how, um, Jared Allen Mobley, and eventually when they added marketing, like none of those guys would work together and mm-hmm. voila, they're working together. Like you just, you don't know Well, we all have a perception of if we think things will work or not. But until you throw it out there and try it, you know, and at some yeah. point you have like this team has to do that one way or the other. Sometimes you the team like, that, so that zig instead of zag, they end up being the smarter team. It doesn't, you know, it's you it's not always going to hit. But sometimes when you go against the norm, you can find something, you can unearth something. And yeah, Cleveland definitely every once did that. in a while, yeah, every once in a while hasn't worked for the Kings. But no. uh, okay, let's get to the coaches. The next two on your list, and we got to clarify, this isn't like, you know, we understand the Kings have won three straight. They're playing some better basketball. Gentry's got the guys playing uh, much more entertaining level of hoops right now. This is not a disparage against Alvin Gentry, but this is thinking realistically, thinking that McNair is going to probably end up doing a search unless the Kings really go on a run. Things fall apart by the end of the year. Which, knowing how the Kings operate. We all know what's coming. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's forthcoming. So... A long, extensive list that Jill's put together. We had Kenny Atkinson and Sam Cassell the first time around. And now we have some defensive-oriented coaches this time around. Jill, take it away. Hold on. Let me close the door real fast. As soon as I go to get on, she does it again. Hold on. (laughs) No, no worries. One of these guys I know is uh, someone I'm a big proponent for. I've mentioned his name in previous podcasts. I I know he's just waiting for the the right opportunity to present itself. He's going to be a great coach. And the other one's on a successful coaching staff. So two good quality, quality candidates here, Jill, that you're about to tell okay. us. Okay. So, yes. Yeah. So first one is um, Darvin Ham. <laughs> so <clears throat> after transitioning from a player to a coach seamlessly over a decade ago, Ham has accrued plenty of experience throughout his time in the coaching ranks. So he started after <clears throat> he left the league, he started as a G League coach with the Albuquerque Thunderbirds. They are no longer. Sick name. Um, but he worked in his role for a couple of seasons before becoming uh, the team's head coach in 2010. The franchise eventually relocated to Canton and are now the Canton Charge, which is the Cavaliers G League affi- uh, affiliate. So his job there, from there, because he did well, led them um, to him being called from the Lakers, and he ended up getting hired as a player development coach for the Lakers. So he's now spent 11 seasons as an assistant, two with the Lakers, five with Atlanta, and four with Milwaukee. So all good organizations. Um, That experience, coaching experience, has come under uh, some more of the modern forward-thinking coaches like uh, Mike Budenholzer in Atlanta um, and Milwaukee. Mike D'Antoni was actually the one who was um, with the Lakers uh, when they brought him over. And so two good, two good ones. Right. Um, so that goes on top of, as a player, he played with coaches like Larry Brown, George Carl, Terry Stotts, um, during his, uh, eight year NBA career. 
So, and I know um, when you're watching a game, sometimes you'll hear Mark Jones or other ones going, oh, that's the hammer play. Um, the hammer play is actually uh, George Carl designed for Darvin Ham. It was actually created off of, off of him because he was always uh, the big man that did the spin move and threw it, um, threw it to the three across the court in the corner. Um, and so that ham hammer play is from Darvin ham. So that's a new interesting fact. If anyone did not know that before, I did not. Um, he's been, uh, considered one of the top assistants in the NBA for years. So this was said all the way back in 2017 ham is the kind of guy, not unlike his boss, Mike at the time, who could probably be happy for years as a top assistant, but one sus, um, one suspects that like um, Budenholzer, he'd be cheating himself if he didn't throw his hat in the ring at some point for a head coaching opportunity. So I don't know if people realize how stacked that Atlanta coaching staff was. I think he's one of two that has not been given a head coach opportunity, but had um, Quinn, it had um, Kenny Atkinson, Snyder, um, um, uh, Ham, um, and they were all under, all under Mike. And so, um, like it, it's crazy. And so there was some sort of stat, I think I saw last year where it was like, um, over 25% of the playoffs were consisted of guys from that <laughs> coaching staff. Like it's just, they've all gone on to be successful. 20, so was that the 2013 team that made the finals 13, 14. Yeah. Um, and so he actually won a ring as a player in Detroit in 2004 under Joe Dumars. So that's another connection. Ooh, there you go. Um, so he coached under Mike, right. Who has the kind of money connection. And then he played under Joe. Uh, he's known for understanding how to get a message through to a player without damaging an ego. That's a huge skill set for a coach in today's NBA. Um, Ham has a reputation reputation for being hard nosed, but a great worth ethic. Something that happened recently was, I know we all saw DeMarcus Cousins was signed to the Milwaukee Bucks. Who did they fly out to um, Las Vegas to work out DeMarcus to see if he would be a good fit for the team already? Ham. And what did DeMarcus Cousins say? He put him through the ringer. He did not make it easy on him. Like, And this is the thing when it comes to being, he's able to work you out without damaging an ego or bruising an ego or making someone like, Oh man, why is he coming at me this hard? You know, like it works, it works how his approach, how it comes across, um, works. So he was first hired, um, in a player development role with the Lakers and has carried that title along, um, with, uh, his assistant coach last 11 seasons. So he's always kind of been that like player development slash like associate, head coach. Um, over the past eight years, Ham uh, has oversaw the development of players like Dennis Schroeder, Tim Hardaway, Terry on Prince, Chris Middleton, Giannis Lopez, Dante DiVincenzo, um, the emergence of Pat Connington in working with, um, you know, the Buck staff. Uh, in Atlanta, you also saw guys like um, Kyle Korver and things like that. Um, Something that Ham also says is uh, most times offense is fleeting. Um, so he told this to Gail Kloppa of the Bucks flagship podcast. So most times offense is fleeting. No one knows who's going to come to the gym and have shots go into the basket for them. Defense is something you can get right almost every night. Nothing is 100% perfect, but there's a lot of um, excellence involved in defense, and you can really give yourself a chance to win if you're focused on that end of the court. Good defense leads to good offense. The opportunities you can create for yourself offensively mostly comes from the defensive end. Whether you're causing the other team to turn the ball over, take a shot they're not looking for, force a player to keep the ball for the majority of the shot clock is just one of the things that you can really get right when you work at it. You know me, I push for the defense. To me, yep. this team doesn't have there. I'm not, I'm never usually worried about their offense. Like, but this is always my thing. This team, when they're not shooting hundred percent completely folds, they don't have anything to fall back on. This is a guy who preaches of learning how to win by at least having something to fall back on. Right. And I mean, He's coached for teams like that Atlanta team. People weren't expecting them to be, you know, what they were, um, which is why people were so impressed with 
the Kenny Atkinson, with the Darvin Ham, with those player developments. Like, look, you're getting the most out of these guys. And they've continued to do that with the Bucks too, right? It helps, yes, when you have a star around you, but they've made everybody else around that star excel in their role. And that's something that the Kings haven't always done um, very well. So right. to me... That's and in the last, too. yeah. And just last year, um, he was a finalist for the, the Pacers job and he was a finalist for, um, the Washington wizards job. And we know the wizards ended up going with unsold, but again, you saw like kind of two defensive guys, um, and in, in the, final, coaching the final backgrounds. And so, yes. And, and like they said, even back, I mentioned that 2017 quote, he could be a guy that could be happy as a top assistant for years, kind of like a, um, uh, why am I drawing a blank? But um, Elston Turner, right? Like who everyone always said, mm-hmm. that man should be a coach somewhere. But he's always, he has spent his career as an associate, associate coach. coach, but he's, always, but he has thrown his hat in the ring. He just never got, he never got the job. And so um, Ham is kind of being that similar so far in the 11 seasons where he's thrown the ring in and made it to the finals and has just never been given that, that real opportunity. But to me, it, it speaks volumes that, um, again, he's been successful wherever he's gone and he made it by working himself up the ranks, right? Like he started as a G league coach and, and worked his way up as player development. Um, and through that way and the best of the best respect him and, and say, he works with me without bruising an ego. And that's another thing that the Kings have had issues with where we're not even stars with bruised egos. We are, you know what I mean? Like that our players get bruised egos, which we feel like, why? Like we, I know you're an NBA player, but you're not a Giannis or, you know, you're not an all-star yet. You're not anything that would be a, um, something that we necessarily weren't that. So, um, Darvin ham, really cool, really respected guy. And, um, I appreciate his to me where he would fit. The Kings would be bringing more of the defensive mindset and, um, player development. Mm-hmm. How well that fits with McNair and his philosophies. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure. Right? That's what I lean back on is what McNair would be looking for in a coach. Darvin ham is an outstanding head coaching candidate. Yeah. I, I, and, and that's where we have no idea with McNair, right? Like yeah, we, that's fair. we have, He's never run we his have own no search. idea because look, I mean, if we heard Chris Finch was his guy, I mean, that's he true. was a big man coach. He's not like some run and done yeah. defense. So, um, and it's worked in Minnesota. You know, and, and this is my thing is like, he's worked under and been coached under every kind of, of coach. Um, and like, as he said, he just tries to to grab it and apply it to how he, um, I mean, Mike, Mike D'Antoni, Larry Brown, George Carl, Terry Stotts. I don't think that's like, they all coach one way. That's a pretty, um, wide spectrum of, of guys. So yeah, but that's the biggest thing is is we don't know what McNair want. Like we, we don't. So, um, yeah. So Darvin ham. So Darvin ham associate head coach currently in Milwaukee under, Boonholtz. He played for the Bucks, yep. did he not as well? Back he in did, his day. and that's yeah. that was under George Carl. And when the Hammer play was gotcha. was created, you were correct. And then um, second coach, and I think also it was Ray player. Allen at the time. He he was throwing him to the corner to Ray Allen. So, yeah, and that'll if work, I'm not usually. mistaken. Um, yeah. So Adrian Griffin is my next one. He's another associate head coach. He's with the Toronto Raptors, um, but another again player development, defensive. Um, oriented, but, and when I even say defense oriented, it's not like these guys don't care about offense. Yeah. They just believe that it can't be all about offense. Like the Crazy. good teams have something to fall back on. Right. Crazy. Right. So, okay. All right. So some cool facts about Adrian, just to start off with, he actually has a son in the G league currently played at Illinois and Syracuse. He has a daughter at UConn playing basketball. So, um, and then a son at Duke like who just who a, yeah, a daughter at UConn, right? Top program. And a son at Duke uh, who just won freshman conference, um, freshman conference player of the month. And if he declares for the draft, he's been in the top 10 um, draft discussion. So what's his name? Uh, Something Griffin. Yeah. Uh, let me look. Is it Jay? Oh, I'm thinking Jay. 
that wasn't that's not huge to his coaching uh resume but now no, i'm curious but, um aj griffin i knew there was a j okay um okay adrian jr got it probably yeah <laughs> um even though he's not the oldest so yeah um so i don't know maybe it stands for something else. i don't know but yeah so he played uh college so interesting enough um when arturis took over the chicago bulls job right what was it last year mm-hmm. um something year interesting was he most people thought darvin ham was going to get the job because uh i mean adrian griffin was going to get the job because he played college basketball um at seton hall with um arturis and so i thought that was an interesting thing he ended up being i think one of the finalists but um they ended up going with um Billy Donovan. Yeah. Billy Donovan, who you will come wrap around that Griffin coached under Billy Donovan in OKC. So um, at least the two of them came from the same stock in the sense that they were both running it. But so he played with him. And then um, he also played under uh, Rick Pitino. And he says, not only was one of the, the best guys I've coached, but also one of the smartest, only a matter of time before he becomes a head coach. He actually went undrafted and didn't enter the league until he was 25. But get this, he was 25, but ended up playing 11 seasons. That's pretty impressive. So yeah, he played 11 seasons, played 11 seasons under Bettino, Don Nelson, Jeff Van Gundy, Avery Johnson, Scott Skiles, and PJ Carlissimo. So an, another yeah. good thing. So Those are some he's 90s, 2000 yeah. coaches right there. So he's, yeah, he's been an assistant in the league since 2008. So again, uh, Ham 2011, here was 2008, two with Milwaukee, two with Chicago, one with Orlando, two with OKC, and four with Toronto. He's been the um, lead assistant or the associate assistant in um, Orlando, OKC, and Toronto. So he's another guy experience, right? He's had three different, you know, the guy just under the head coach jobs, um, but has never, you know, got that one, that one higher. So to me, this was interesting. His last season as a player with Milwaukee, um, coach Skiles called him, cut him. And in that same phone call said, come be a coach with me. And he was hired to the coaching staff nice, like that. So in that, in that Good phone call, up. his, his, his playing career ended, but his coaching career started. So to me, that told me a lot about what Skiles and people think about him in terms of a basketball mind that it was, Hey, sorry, I'm going to let you go, but I actually want to keep your basketball mind around because I think you can do this. So during the bubble, um, Nick nurse actually let him coach a game, like for a full game, he said, I'm not going to coach. So he actually has one win as an NBA head coach. Uh, the Raptors came back from 16 down to beat the Sixers in the bubble Um, So he got his first win. And after that game, nurse said, it'll probably come back to bite me in the ass because people are going to see that, like what a good job he did and hire him. Um, And so, but he said, I felt like giving him, you know, that opportunity. So that was pretty cool. So in his two seasons with the bucks, they improved uh, 20 games, not saying it was just him, obviously, but he was part of the staff that accomplished it. Uh, when that same coaching staff left, the team dropped back 10 games the next season. So in those two seasons, they went up 20. And then after they all left, they dropped 10. His next stop was with Chicago. And that was from 2011 to 2015. He was an assistant and player development under coach Thibs. And so he actually calls him a father figure and says that um, a lot of his basketball philosophies come from him. And so he says he's not as much of, of a hard head, but, um, the X's and O's at least, um, will come from him and, you know, a very well-respected coach. Um, so he was there along with, um, guys like Derek Rose and Joachim Noah. And while he was there, um, Rose was the young one winning MVP. Um, something interesting was, um, Jimmy Butler, uh, got the most improved player in 2015, 2014, 2015. And in his speech, he said, all my coaches had a lot to do with my MIP award, but I think Adrian Griffin, um, had, uh, the most impact because he had to deal with me just being unbearable. I think he has a lot to do with who I am. And so Jimmy Butler said, as him being that young guy, Griffin had to deal with him being the 
why aren't I getting more type thing? And Griffin had, he said that Griffin had to kind of in the same way that they mentioned ham, like, how can I work with you without hurting the ego? Your time will come. Your time will come. Keep working with me and doing this and we will get there. And I mean, Jimmy Butler, who, you know, great player says that Griffin is yes. Um, is why he is, you know, or that he credits him for the trajectory that, that he took. So awesome. Right. Um, so he spent one season, um, after he left the bulls, he spent, uh, one season with Orlando back under Scott Skiles again. Uh, they finished with 35 wins and that was the young Oladipo Aaron Gordon when they first came into the league. Um, he was only there for one year, but because he got the job as the lead assistant in um, OKC with Billy Donovan, and he was there from 16 to 18, where he worked with Russell Westbrook. Um, and uh, interesting enough, Rose won the MVP while he was there. Westbrook won the MVP while he was there. And um, they obviously had a good relationship because the Wizards, he was another interview of the Wizards last year, and they were using specifically if they wanted to keep Russ. So that was the route they were going if they had decided to keep Russ. So I think that's a pretty big um, kudos to, to Griffin yeah. in that sense of he would be able to handle that. Um, the wins went up. Obviously, we know while him and Billy Donovan were there, they had good players, obviously, as well. Um, he worked with Jeremy Grant. And Grant actually credits the trainer, Mike Davis and Adrian Griffin with helping him become the better player he was during that season. He says, this confidence comes from my work. The more work I put in, the more confidence I put out onto the court. He also credits him for uh, helping him better finish at the rim. So again, we're seeing a list of players who got better, who were crediting him with getting there. Um, next is Toronto, where in his first season, they won the championship. We've seen growth in guys like... Uh, and this is consistently, not just his first year there, right? Like he's been there for at least three, four years now. So Fred Van Fleet, Siakam, Norman Powell, Gary Trent Jr. Um, once he was traded there, um, they helped lead Toronto to a top five defense in 2018, 2019. And even when Kawhi left, they still finished in a top five defense again the next year. So again, they got the good role players to buy in and, and do what needed to be done. Um Nurse says that he adjusts his duties to different staff. That way everyone has a piece of experience and knows all aspects of scouting the game, game plans. And he thinks uh, Griffin is ready for that next step. So Griffin says one of the biggest things he learned from Tibbs was regarding preparation. And he said he's used this when he's been tasked with the Toronto stuff. So he said Tibbs was a master of attention, attention to detail. He knew how to put a game plan together that neutralizes our opponent's strengths and tries to exploit their weakness. I learned a lot from him, just his approach to managing a team and all the details that go into it. They would have 20 minute walkthroughs of opposing team plays. And he said, players realized after they left, after they ended up leaving the team, that that wasn't always done elsewhere and that they kind of missed how much prep work was put in that at the time, maybe it was like, Oh man, we got to do this for the 17th time now, you know, out of 20. But then once they left, it was like, Oh damn, they're not even doing it 10 times here. Like um, that they missed that kind of, they hated the preparation at the time, but you, you miss it after the fact. So the fact that players were even vocalizing that I think speaks volumes um, he's worked with elite guards and he's also got bigs to buy in defensively. So again, you're seeing that he's hit both, you know, wings and bigs as well as, um, getting, uh, guards to buy in. So all things that, that we could use here. Um, something I thought was interesting that he said was what's happening, especially I think in the younger generation is that they have this perception that everything is supposed to go well. But really in life, there's a lot of ebbs and flows, a lot of highs and lows, a lot of peaks and valleys, and you got to learn how to navigate through those things. Um, If I would have given up years ago, I wouldn't be standing here where he was today. This was a guy, right? Like we said, who, who wasn't in the league until 25 and lasted 11 years. And I think what he hit is spot on. And we hear this in quotes with a lot of these young guys. They've never, they've never had to deal with this before. And their biggest, you know, downfall is how do I handle 
the things not going well because I've been the star wherever I've gone. I've never lost these kind of games before. Like, you know what I mean? Like these are the best of the best. And so they were always winning. Um, and he made a great point of that. Um, it's normal to have the ebbs and flows, but we got to get you in that mindset and to learn how to, to stay mentally strong as, as you overcome that. So, um, just as a recommendation, um, if you want to know more about them, there's a really cool podcast on YouTube. Um, it's by basketball immersion. It's called basketball coaching conversations and it's episode 118. And it's called Adrian Griffin, developing a coaching philosophy. It's like an hour long of just him talking about his history and what he's learned under different coaches and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, again, two, two guys that have been around for a long time that have just never been given that opportunity. And it's not because they haven't deserved it. Right. It's as we say, there's only 30 jobs here. Um, so to me and the, in this sense, they're, they're newbies, but they're not newbies because they've been around it all. They've won championships. Like they've played with stars with non-stars, like they, they've, they've seen played. it all. Yeah. Right. And, and they've been associates in multiple places. Like it's, mm-hmm. um, and every coach says that they're ready where, and you don't always get every coach saying that every coaching person on their staff is ready. Right. Like that's not just something that's always thrown around. So, um, in that sense, it's yes, they are green, but they're not. So, um, yeah, just two names, uh, for player development. And if you want to look a little bit more defensively, but like I said, yes, they, they have that defensive mindset, but they very much, as every player, you know, uh, kudo that I gave, they all mentioned both offense and defense and, and what they did um, to them and, and helping their mentality um, mm-hmm. on the court and be uh, mentally strong as well as being physically strong. So four coaches, all of whom so far on this list, I think uh, Kenny Atkinson played in the NBA for a little bit. Did he not? Or am I wrong? I thought he was a point guard somewhere. Um, yeah, he was a point guard. Yeah. So all four coaches so far are former players. Uh, that is the pattern we see in the modern NBA, usually a former player, someone that can connect with this generation of guys, Darvin Ham. That was a a trait you had mentioned that he can, uh, get through to a player without hurting their ego. Egos are also very common. That's always been a case though. In the NBA, I'd argue a lot of guys with egos, four good names, Jill. Uh, I I know you have many more on this list. We're going to get to hopefully all of them before I, we will before the season ends before the Kings officially go and look for a new coach or stay with Gentry. Either way, there's going to be a search. Yeah. We will get through all of them and I'm excited and, for all. Yeah. And, and like I always say, it's similar to what I did with the, the front office, um, you know, podcast one that I don't, I don't necessarily have one that I'm like rooting for. I just want people to realize like, again, what's out there a and, lot. and what you could have. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are the guys on other benches right? when we're talking about things. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and like when you had an Atlanta Hawks bench that's full of um, now future head coaches, like yeah. the same can't be said for the benches that have been created here. Like we've had some good benches, but I'm trying to think of one that we've had where it's like a whole bench went and became that's never had coaches like that's just not. Elson um, Turner was probably the best know? assistant coach that we've had on the bench. So with Adelman and then with Jaeger, I can't think of anyone crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, they, they've all just been really good assistants. Yeah. Um, and so just know that there are, um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of talent out there. That's, that's ready, you know, for the all pickings, are, if, if so, if so needed, <laughs> all of whom are uh, more qualified and probably more intelligent than Luke Walton. So can only go off from here. Uh, all right, that'll do it on this Thursday edition of the Sports Ethos Sacramento Kings podcast. The Kings start a three-game road trip facing the Eastern Conference. They play Charlotte tomorrow, tomorrow evening in Charlotte. They go to Cleveland, play the upstart Cavaliers, and then they end the road trip with a hopefully a chance of redemption against the Toronto Raptors who smacked them around last time they played in Toronto going to Canada for that one. And then they'll be back, and I wrote this down. I wanted to reiterate this, Jill, because it still blows me away. When they come back from this road trip on December 15th to play Washington, they will not play a game outside of California until January 7th. They have wow. one road game in that entire time frame, starting from January or December 15th to January 7th to next year. One road game is San Francisco. They go to play Golden State, and then they also play, I think, actually, right after January 7th or right before January 7th, they play the Lakers in L.A. 
But they won't leave the state of California. Yeah. Uh, they will not get on a plane for a long time. Prime it's opportunity. Prime As we always say, it's prime opportunity. What yeah. will you do with it? What that we is the question. Probably throw it away. But, you know. We're hoping that. There. Come on. Come we're, on. We're hoping. Fingers uh, crossed. Some, some <laughs> trades to shake up the roster a little bit. And then you, you get to live large like kings at your home arena. Go take advantage. All right. We'll see you guys back here tomorrow for a, a guest or two probably on the Friday edition of the show. You guys have a great day. Slater dudes.